On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a jam-packed episode. In distro news, we're going to talk about elementary OS, Ubuntu's latest survey they're doing for their LTS 20.04, Ubuntu Cinnamon is a new distribution based on Ubuntu that is using the Cinnamon desktop, Tails 4.1 is a privacy-based distribution, Kali Linux 2019.4, which is a pen-testing distribution, and Kane 11.0, which is a forensic scientist distribution. So we have a lot to talk about and many things that are very interesting in the distro section. Then we're going to move on to the app news, and in the app news we're going to talk about Firefox 71 and a parental controls application called Timekeeper Next. Then later on we're going to cover the latest updates and improvements to Plasma 5.18 from the KDE team. Librem 5 is now shipping to backers, and we're going to talk about the new Made in USA version. Lutris 0.5.4 was released, and there's also some really great news for Lutris in terms of Epic Games sending them a mega grant, basically. So, all that, and we're going to get into the, some more gaming stuff with the Humble Bundles, because there is a lot of news in the Humble Bundles. We normally only cover like maybe a bundle or two every now and then, but this one has like five different topics because there's so much of it. We're going to talk about all that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to our world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. And DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. And those tutorials are really good because they not only they just have really good information, but they also update them or replace them with newer versions later on if there's significant changes. So they're, they're kept up-to-date, which is really good. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can get started with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. A first in show this week is the latest release of Elementary OS, and that's 5.1, a.k.a. Hera. I'm pretty sure it's Hera. I could be wrong about the pronunciation, but I'm, I think it is. Anyway, this is the, a big update since last year. That last August they had an update, and it was 5.0. This is the first uh, big update since then. And in this release, they have actually redesigned the login and lock screen greeter. This fixes many reported issues with the previous greeter, including focus issues, high DPI issues, and better localization for different languages. They've actually added a new onboarding app that ships with Hera, introduces key features to users, and handles common first-run tasks like managing privacy settings and that sort of thing. And also, it allows you to enable the nightlight, set the system to automatically clean temporary and deleted files, or install apps directly from the onboarding app. That's pretty cool. Uh, they've also added something that's really interesting to me, which is the, in a, in a couple of ways, and that's the out-of-box support for Flatpaks. Now, they have support for Flatpaks, but they don't have a repo of Flatpaks in order to use Flatpaks. It's kind of weird, but and I also understand and at the same time still disagree with how they did it. Uh, so they have this new application called Sideload, and it's like an in-house built graphical application that lets you install Flatpak apps with a simple click. 
And in addition, Elementary OS adds Flatpak support to the App Center so that users can manage Flatpaks alongside regular applications from the official repositories. So it's interesting because in their comment about this particular uh, feature, they say that rather incur than encouraging users to drop to a terminal, add inherently insecure PPAs, I mean that's not necessarily accurate. There is definitely some issues with PPAs that could arise, but if you get it from a, a secure or a trusted source, it's not that big of an issue. Or install packages that end up getting root access to the system, which is basically every dev file in existence. Uh, we've created a new core elementary OS utility called Sideload to make it extremely easy to sideload Flatpaks. So that's good. Uh, a few of those things I did a little bit of corrections. It was like, you know, all dev files have access to root when you install them because that's how they install. Uh, but anyway, the things that uh, kind of issue what I have with the way they're doing the Flatpaks is one, they don't have FlatHub by default. And I find that kind of weird because, well, for sh for the... Really, FlatHub is not an official repo of Flatpaks. And I, I bet that's why. They didn't really officially say why, but I bet that's why. Because it's not technically official, but Flatpaks don't even have an official repo, so that's why they don't have one in elementary, I assume. They haven't specifically said that. But in my opinion is that without Flatpaks having a repo to access, it's not as useful you still have to go get a flat pack from somewhere like going to the FlatHub website, downloading the flat pack and then running the install. I think it'd be much better if they just had flat FlatHub as a default because well, it's become the de facto default repo now. So that's what I think they should do. They also have this thing when you try to install a flat pack, um, there's this like some, depending on what type of thing you install with sideload, it will say, uh, are you sure you want to install this uncurated app? But in some cases, I'm pretty sure it's just the Flatpaks, but it'll say, are you sure to install this untrusted app? Not uncurated or untested or whatever other word, just specifically untrusted. And I think that's kind of a problem because it implies a security issue automatically, even if the application you get is from a trusted source. You know, that just kind of problem to me. However, it's not a huge problem and it doesn't change anything about whether or not elementary is a good operating system to use. It's just something I wish they would address. That's all. Uh, and elementary is a really nice looking distribution. So if you are into that kind of style and the way that they implement their uh, interface guidelines and that kind of stuff, you just like the design of elementary OS, it is definitely a really nice looking distribution. Probably one of the best looking ones that it's available. Uh, but I just want them to cover those couple of things, you know, add the flat hub as a repo by default and make it where uh, it doesn't say untrusted and pretty much you're good to go. You know, if you want to check out more about the latest release of elementary 5.1, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Ubuntu 20.04 LTS pre-release survey. That's a lot to say. But anyway, this is a thing that Ubuntu has been doing a little bit of sort of a tradition now because the last LTS, the 1804 version, also had a survey where they ask for opinions of the users and how they utilize Ubuntu or how they use it for their desktop, their server, or whatever. And in this particular one, they say that the survey will take five to ten minutes and their purpose is to collect direct feedback from as many users as possible. Now this is me applying to Ubuntu Desktop, Ubuntu Server, and also cloud uses of Ubuntu. 
But I wanted to make it clear about one thing. When it says like it goes from Ubuntu desktop and Ubuntu server, there's a part where you might it, it doesn't it's not totally clear about what does it mean by Ubuntu desktop. All of the flavors count in that. So in one of the questions, it asks if you use Ubuntu desktop, and if you click no, it will move on to Ubuntu server. But if you click yes, it will then ask you to choose what flavor you use. So if you accidentally click the to not no on that particular question, because I don't remember exactly how it's worded, uh, you can just click back and then go and fix it and choose it. And then you'll be able to choose the flavor that you want. Uh, because it's kind of weirdly worded, but it's I just want to make that clear so that you could go back and fix it and to know that that's going to happen. Uh, also, uh, this survey will last until January 10th. That's when it will close and they will analyze the results. And also just like last year, or not last year, but last LTS, they will publish the results of this survey so everybody can check it out, which is really cool. And if you want any suggestions about what to say in certain places, there's a part where it's like, you know, there's a, do you have anything else to say sort of thing where you just, you know, catch all type of question. In there, you could mention perhaps that they should partner with AMD in order to get better support for AMD hardware in their distribution and update their kernels and stuff like that faster. That'd be maybe an option. Or you could do a suggestion like I did where you could say, hey, you should switch to Plasma because Plasma's great. I mean, you could probably skip that Plasma part if you want to, if that's not your particular DE. But I think AMD is a good thing to partner with. For I think anybody would agree with that. So if you are interested in filling out this survey, please do so. I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. And yeah. Up next in the show is a new distribution we're going to talk about. They have their first release, and that is Ubuntu Cinnamon. No, not Linux Mint. Linux Mint is a Cinnamon-based distribution that is built on Ubuntu. So I can see why that'd be confusing. And we're not going to talk about Linux Mint because the they're currently in a beta version. When the new version comes out, I will talk about it then. But right now, it's currently in beta. But I think there's some very interesting news related to Linux Mint, which is Ubuntu Cinnamon. Ubuntu Cinnamon is a spin of Ubuntu created by the community. And the this is based on Ubuntu 1910. I, I, it's actually you know, using the code name Eon Ermine, just like Ubuntu 1910. But since it's not an official flavor, they don't really have to use that code name yet. So I would suggest they use Cinnabuntu as their code name for Ubuntu Cinnamon. Just a suggestion. Not, not saying you should. Just you consider it, at least. Just consider it. You may hear people call it a flavor, but technically it's not that. I'm working on a video that explains the difference between flavors, spans, derivatives, forks, remixes, etc. So if you are interested in that, be sure to subscribe to the channel. They're trying to get the flavor ship, though, so that it's possible that it will become a flavor at some point. Uh, that'll probably take a few more releases before that happens. So this version of Ubuntu Cinnamon is really interesting. I'll talk about it more in depth in another video where I explain the differences between the two because there are a lot of differences, but I'll, I'll cover a couple of it right now. So first of all, they have Calamari's installer, which is the installer that Lubuntu uses. They're going to be supporting Cinnamon 4.0.10. And it's going to use the Nemo File Manager and LightDM, which makes sense because both of those are used by Linux Mint. It's going to support EFI and UEFI and have 64-bit support only. Now that makes sense because that's pretty much what Ubuntu is doing for all the different distributions that are, you know, going to, wanting to be flavors, that are flavors or want to be flavors. So that's a necessity, really. Uh, they also have improvements planned for the next release, which will have uh, updates to Grub theme and the, Pl the Plymouth theme, uh, updates to the layout applications, uh, the have a new welcome screen that's going to be added. So a lot of cool stuff is coming, and there, there's a lot of interesting work being done on this. This is something that I've always wanted to be done for the most ridiculous reason ever, 
it's because I wanted to make the joke about Cinnabuntu. And I know that that is silly, but it amuses me, so there's that. But anyway, this is a really cool idea as well, because if you like the Cinnamon desktop, if you were using Ubuntu Cinnamon, you could get the updates in the sense of every six months, get the core entire base updated, and that's a big difference between the two. There's also many other differences, like you wouldn't really have the Linux Mint applications in full, more than likely, because they'd be using some stuff that is coming from Linux Mint, some stuff is coming from Ubuntu, but that stuff has not been solidified yet, so there's still quite a few things about like, in, you know, up in the air about what the big differences are. But overall, I think this is an interesting distribution because I think that Cinnamon is a really good desktop environment, and I think that uh, it'd be really cool to see Cinnamon on Ubuntu as a flavor because it would get, you know, getting those updates would be interesting to see how it's optimized for the later version, later hardware support, and later things like that compared to how Linux Mint works and that sort of s structure. So anyway, if you're interested in checking it out, the download for the the first version of Ubuntu Cinnamon is available now. To keep in mind, it is a very early stages. It's not it's not necessarily a beta or or anything, but it is a very early stages in the project. So don't expect it to be absolutely perfect. However, if you are interested in checking out, please do so. And also be sure to let the the developers know that if you find any bugs, to help improve the distribution because that's one of the best things about open source is that we all are there to help improve everything we use. So, yeah. I have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Tails 4.1. Tails is the Amnesic Incognito Live System, or Tails. And this is a distribution that is focused on privacy and security so that you can use whatever computer and be safer and be, you know, feel like, you know, you have more privacy rather than just using whatever that comes on that computer. So, for example, if you go to a library, you could use Tails on that computer and not have to worry as much about certain things. I mean, you'd still be using their internet. You might want to use a VPN in that case and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or Tor. Which, is, which does come by default in Tails. Uh, but there's you know, a variety of different things that could be a factor. But using Tails uh, solves some of those things. And this, is, this latest release of 4.1 is actually not that big of a release. It's mostly just a maintenance and bug fixes and that kind of thing. But they also announced alongside it some um, plans and roadmap for 2020. And there's a lot of cool stuff. So one, they're going to support Secure Boot to offer better compatibility with more hardware components, making it easier to start Tails on PCs and Macs. And this plan, the support for Secure Boot is planned for July 2020. So, you know, in the pretty much in six months or so. And uh, manual upgrades have been bugging users for a long time now. So they want to make the upgrade process less painful, lighter, and more robust. And these are actually, these manual upgrades, or these manual upgrades, these automatic upgrades will be coming fairly soon as maybe as in January, 2020. So pretty soon, uh, they, we don't know exactly when or if that's accurate, but that's the estimate right now. And this is really good because the, like there's certain parts that are automatic already. And then there's the manual upgrades that when those things are automatic, don't work. The manual upgrades are a lot more involved and they want to make it easier for people to get started with tails. And by creating this better automatic update, they can do so, which is awesome. They also are revamping their website to make it easier for non-technical users to understand how Tails works. So they, a quote from the de de Tails dev team, they say, for less technical parts of our target audience, 
Tails is a technological object like nothing they have used before. To make sure that the new explanation of Tails makes sense to less tech-savvy users, we will use user-centered design techniques and work with professional graphic designers to improve it. So this is really cool. So I think this is great. They're also going to try to improve the website, making it more user-friendly, making it more uh, you know, beginner-friendly to it as well as adding all these different supports for, you know, secure boot, making it easier for different hardware. And uh, I can't wait because Tails is a really good system, but a lot of people look at it as in too complicated, so they don't want to use it. And this would be great for fixing that. So yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Tails or check out 4.1 release, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Kali Linux 2019.4. This is the latest release of Kali Linux, and if you are not aware, Kali Linux is a security or pen testing application that has like forensic tools and, you know, tracking network stuff and just basically it's a hacking distribution. Um, It's a really cool distribution, and if you are interested in hacking, it's a good way to get started. However, I will let you know that it is not meant for being used as a daily driver. In fact, they actually have a frequently asked questions that says, don't do that. So if you are not a pen tester, and are not aware of the possibilities of doing that, definitely don't do that. So Kelly Linux is a Debian-based distribution that ships with a collection of security and forensic tools. This latest release adds features for having ButterFS on root support during setup. This is the first Kali Linux release to switch to the XFCE desktop because it used to be GNOME-based. Now they're implementing a, a desktop with XFCE by default. And they're also going to have GNOME still if people want to use it, but they're going to be using XFC as the main DE that they're pushing. And they're having a new desktop theme for both XFCE and GNOME. So if you're interested in you know that kind of thing, it's really cool because Kali Linux, you know, back in the day, Kali Linux was not the prettiest looking distribution, and they're putting a lot of effort into the design of it, which is really awesome. And another cool thing is that they're adding this new undercover mode, which will impersonate Windows 10. And to a ridiculous degree. Not only is it just changing the panel and the wallpaper and all the other stuff, it also changes the file manager to look like Windows Explorer. That's impressive. So I wanted to read a quote from the developer team of Kali Linux, and they say, with the change to the environment, we thought we would take a sidestep and do something fun. Thanks to Robert, who led our penetration testing team, for suggesting a Kali Kali theme that looks like Windows to the casual view, we have created the Kali Undercover theme. Say you're working in a public place, hacking away, and you might not want the distinctive Kali dragon for everyone to see and wonder what you were doing. So we made a little script that will change your Kali theme to look like a Windows installation. That way you can work a bit more incognito. And after you're done in a more private place, you can run the script again and switch you back to the Kali theme. So this is pretty interesting because this is a really, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how much of a necessary that is, but it's a really cool thing that they added it because, you know, some people might want that sort of thing and it's pretty cool. I also think that it'd be a really good thing for uh, the Tails distribution to look into because that'd be really cool for people who don't want to know that you're trying to be private and that way you could pretend to be using Windows when you're not. Especially if you're at someone's computer, they have a rule about not changing the, not changing stuff or not, or only booting into their system. This way, you could boot into it and have it. That'd be, I think Tails should check that out. Uh, but also in this latest release, they also added task animation for PowerShell, which if you have that need for some reason, you can have that now. So, anyway, if you want to learn more about Kali Linux 2019.4, I have a link to it in the show notes below. 
Up next in the show is Kane 11.0 has been released, and Kane stands for Computer Aided Investigative Environment. It is an Ubuntu-based distribution that is a live distribution created as a project for digital forensics. Really interesting distribution. Now, I haven't personally used this because I have really no need for digital forensics, but it is a pretty cool concept, and I'm glad to see that it exists because this is very interesting in general. Uh, Kane 11.0 is based on Ubuntu 18.04 and supports booting on UEFI, uh, Secure Boot, and legacy BIOS devices. Version 11 includes a ButterFS forensic tool, and there's a lot of important changes like uh, all devices are blocked in read-only mode by default now. And they've actually added some other tools like a forensic tool for Mac called AutoMacTic, which I think that's a fun name. They've also added a firmware analyzer and a cold disk quick response tool. So these are really cool. And that one's, by the way, called CDQR is the name of the app. So anyway, this is a really cool distribution that I have really no idea anything about it other than the basics of me researching it and like looking into it uh, because I don't have any need for these these tools. But pretty cool that it exists. So if you have a need for this or just want to play around with it, uh, check out Kane 11.0, link in the show notes. Before we move on, I want to let you know about the new DLN Charity Drive. So the Designation Linux network and is growing and expanding and reaching communities around the world. An important part of our mission is to help bring attention to organizations that need support. We ask you, the community, for suggestions to help us choose the first organizations that we partner with on the Destination Linux Network Forum. And thanks to the many suggestions on the DLN Forum, we are happy to introduce the first DLN Gives Back partner as FreeGeek. FreeGeek is helping to bridge the digital divide, reduce e-waste, and deliver education into the communities they serve. There are many ways to give back, and you can go to destinationlinux.network to find out, and you can go to destinationlinux.network slash freegeek to get all the diff all the details related to it, as well as in the future, we had an interview with a representative from FreeGeek, so in the next episode of Destination Linux, there'll be an interview there, and we'll have that video embedded on that page. However, that episode has not been released yet, because I still have to edit it, but that will be coming uh, very soon, within the next couple of days, so be sure to check that out. And DLN will also be contributing alongside you, so it's a fundraiser that we're 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 not only just promoting it, but we're also participating in it because we we believe that Free Geek is doing a lot of good stuff, and we want to bring attention to that. So, in addition, you can also donate equipment. It doesn't have to be just financial donations. It could be sending in laptops and etc. That kind of thing. And if you live in the Portland, Oregon area, you can volunteer your time. So you can actually uh, go to their offices and there's help them uh, build out computers and install Linux on those laptops and hand them out to people and just help the community that way if you live in that area. And we just want to say, uh, it, you know, thank you to for, for Greet Free Geek to what all of the stuff that they're doing. And we want to thank everybody for helping us grow the network to the point where we can more directly help others in the communities like this. So head to destinationlinux.network to learn more about this. And thank you very much for your support. Moving on to app news, Firefox 71 has been released. And if you're not aware, Firefox is the best web browser ever made. And if you're wondering why I would say that, I mean, it's my opinion, of course, but I also made a video that explains my se seven reasons why Firefox is my favorite web browser. And spoiler, it's awesome. And that's one of the reasons, but really, that's not one of the seven. That's just another reason why. But I have seven reasons in that video that explain why I like Firefox. So be sure to check that out. 
And in this latest version of Firefox 71, they've added another, a bunch of other new things. First of all, they've added a CLI switch for a command line switch called Kiosk. And it allows you to launch Firefox in a full screen kiosk mode for if you want to have a device that loads an operating system and then loads Firefox and has like for its sole purpose of that device is to load a web app for some other for some reason, like maybe a payroll app for people who come into their, you know, their office or warehouse or whatever. And they can log in through that device. You know, that's an option. I just something that came on top of my head. Added a new certificate viewer. They've added new server timing information, which is exposed through the Firefox developer tools. They've added some partial support for the media session API. Native MP3 encoding is enabled by default for all platforms now and various other developer enhancements. So this is really cool. And you may have seen people talk about the latest version of Firefox having something called picture in picture mode. Unfortunately, while yes, that is in Firefox 71, it's not in Firefox 71 for Linux. It's actually only available for Firefox 71 on Windows. So Firefox 72 is the one that's getting picture-in-picture picture for Linux. So that's unfortunate. But still, Firefox is still the best browser. And if you'd like to learn more or check out Firefox, I'll have a link to the latest release in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Timekeeper Next. It's a parental controls application, and to be more specific, the name is TimeKPR-Next with some weird capitalizations, but anyway... So it's a graphical parental control tool for Linux, and it's useful if you want to have like limited child activity on a computer. For example, if your kids, uh, you want to limit those kids to have you know two, three hours a day, or you want to say only a certain window of time is available, you can do that with this application. We'll get into the features a bit more in a minute, uh, but first of all, we're going to talk about like how it, how it's built and what's available on. So it's built with Python and GTK3. It's available and has been confirmed to work with multiple desktop environments, including GNOME, XFCE, Cinnamon, KDE Plasma, Deepin, Budgie, and Unity. They haven't confirmed it for Mate yet, but they haven't said like LXDE, LXQt, or LX or Mate, but they haven't said no on those. They just haven't confirmed it yet. So I don't know if those work or not. Uh, so if you try it out and you use those desktop environments, please let me know or you know comment below. And also, you can send a message to them to let you know, let them know that you tested it out for them. Uh, this also has support for X11 and Wayland, which is really cool. And this is like some really interesting uh, history around this project because Timekeeper Next was created as a replacement for Timekeeper Revived, created by the same person. For Timekeeper Revived is created by the same person who's making Timekeeper Next, so that one is now deprecated. And that one was also a fork of the old Timekeeper application, which was abandoned in like 2012 or so. So like in 2018, I think maybe 2017, it was picked up as Timekeeper Revived, which was basically to revive the existing version. And now this is a re-implementation of Timekeeper Revive to improve it and have like a new language it's built on and that kind of thing. So the developer explains that Timekeeper Revive had some shortcomings as well, like a desynchronization between the daemon and the client application, so a user could not work past midnight without being kicked out. So it also had no sleep support, it had no time or month allowance, or other things. So they also used PAM as the system to figure it out, like do the management. But now they, they say that that was uh, invasive, and it modified the display manager config file sometimes, and it showed incorrect messages for users trying to log in when the allocated time expired and some other issues. But Timekeeper Next uses LogInD as a part of SystemD. 
and this allows them to fix all of those issues. And now we're gonna get into the features. So the features for Timekeeper Next are daily limits. You can configure the app to allow user using the computer for a given number of minutes or hours for each day of the week, or specify an hour interval. So let's say if you, if you only wanna have this amount, you can say once they reach this amount, then you can set the limit. They can have weekly and monthly limits, specify uh, you know, based on this is how many you can have per week rather than per day. You can also uh, display notifications on login that inform the user if he has or she has a limited amount of time to use the computer in that day and how much the remaining time is. The app also notifies a user with the remaining time when the access time gets close to the runout. So it's like a little indicator message saying that there's, how, there's like 15 minutes or so left on the time allowed or whatever. And they also have a tray icon which accesses the time left information. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff that they've done, including multi-user support. So Timekeeper Next allows you set, setting different parental control schedules for each user account. So you can have multiple, if you have a different account for your each kid, you can have this tool you'll be used for, uh, you know, providing different amounts of time for each kid. So you can have it like you can, so you can have more fine grain control in that sense as well. So it's really cool application. And if you have kids and you've been looking for a parental control application, I think this is definitely one to check out. So Timekeeper next, I have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is I want to take a brief moment to talk about some, do some housekeeping related to the show, the channel and the network. So Destination Linux Network is the network that this podcast, This Week in Linux, and the Tux Digital channel are a part of. And I, if you're not aware, Destination Linux is also another podcast that I host. And we decided to provide a single roof to put all the different things that we're all connected with into a single place so that we, everybody can use that to essentially take the idea of the open source philosophy and turn it into a network of sorts. So it's, I mean, literally it's called a network, but in the sense of like using the open source philosophy to help everyone and collaborate as much as possible and help everyone grow and build out their uh, level, like their content and their media and everything like that. So Destination Linux Network is that, and we're doing a lot of different things together, including a Telegram group. You can go to destinationlinux.org slash Telegram. And if you want to check out the discourse forum, which is really awesome and has a bunch of people on it, including all of the hosts we talk about, we talk on the forum and have different threads. And it's a really good option for people who are not wanting to do something like Telegram, which is like a real time chat. And if you miss the conversation, it's really hard to go back and forth. Whereas a, a forum it allows you to have organizational threads and you can read it at your leisure and you don't have to worry about whether you miss the content or not because it's really organized and that kind of thing. So that's why we have both of those different things. And you can go to destinationlinux.network and you can click on the forum link at the top of the page to go there. And if you're also not aware, we have an audio feed for this podcast. This, the, the this Week in Linux podcast has an RSS feed that you can subscribe to to get MP3s. You can also subscribe on YouTube and other places if you want, but the audio feed is for people who want to download the podcast in their podcast app, like Podcast Addict or Pocket Casts or whatever else you want to do, as well as we are on Spotify and other platforms. You could, you could download the show or just stream the show, however you want to do it. Many, many options. And if you find a place that is we're not the show's not on at the moment, feel free to let me know because I do want to fix that because I want to have the show on every single possible platform that even that exists. And hopefully in the future when the new ones come up, get on those too. So anyway, the next thing we're going to talk about is the segment index. So 
this show has a lot of different topics. And it's spread across the entire show where there's anywhere between two minutes to ten minutes on a topic. Now, that would be kind of a hard thing to keep track of if you were just going to watch, the, unless you're going to watch the whole thing all the way through. But let's say you're interested in one particular topic and then you want to go back and then watch the rest of it. You know, be sure to go back and watch the rest of it. Uh, this We provided the segment index that allows you to click a link in the description as well as on the podcast apps. You can choose the chapter sections and it allows you to jump like jump back and forth depending on what topic interests you the most. And then you can go to listen to the rest of it after the fact. So it's just a nice way to allow you to jump around the show if you're interested in doing that. And if you uh, appreciate all the work we do on this show, please consider becoming a patron. And you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or TuxDigital.com slash sponsors to become a patron for the Tux Digital channel and this podcast. Anyway, if you'd like to support the channels without any cost to you, you can do that so with the affiliate links. You can go to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates, and you can purchase things on Amazon or Humble Bundle or Private Internet Access or many other things, and you could just, when you purchase the thing, use those links, and it will give a small commission to the show, and that would be very much appreciative. So if you're okay with doing that, please do so. And thank you very much in in advance, basically, for doing so. And also for watching this podcast. So thanks for that too. Up next in the show, we got some information about the next version of KDE Plasma, which is 5.18. That's not going to be coming out until next year, January, February, somewhere around there. I don't remember exactly what the date is, uh, when it's going to come out, but that around that time. So they, there's a lot of information. We're going to cover a few things, but first of all, we're going to talk about the GTK CSD support, or AKA client-side decorations for the uh, GTK toolkit. And this is really good because there used to be some issues with client-side, or, I mean, still is now because it's not out yet, but there's some uh, issues with the header bars and how they render in Plasma. There's some little awkwardness kind of thing, so you kind of like have a sort of a double header or double title bar sort of thing. And it's not ideal, but it wasn't like a game breaker. It just wasn't you know, it wasn't ideal. Now they have fixed it, so they have integrated the CSDs to work really nicely with Plasma. So there's full support for GTK Frame Extends protocol, which hugely improves the user experience for running GTK apps that use client-side decorations. Not all of them do, but some of them do. And this includes uh, GNOME apps and an increasing number of third-party applications. In particular, these apps now display window shadows and have proper resizing areas without needing to use a thick border, so it looks much cleaner and much nicer. I personally don't like CSDs because while they do look nice, they rem they hide a lot of the functionality behind a hamburger menu. In the video version, you can see next to the close, minimize, maximize buttons, it has a like a three line button that's called the hamburger menu. I don't really know why. Supposedly it looks like a hamburger apparently, but whatever. That's what's called hamburger menu. And the majority of the functionality of most applications that use CSD just put like everything there. Like it used to be file edit view, that kind of thing had a menu bar. Well, there's no longer that. It's now in that one button menu, which is weird, but I can go into like why I don't like CSDs more Specifically, if you'd like in a future video, let me know in the comments below if you're interested in that, and I'll make a video about why I don't necessarily like CSDs, and I'll go into more detail, but for now, we're just going to leave it there. It looks really nice, so I'm happy to see that Plasma has fixed something that 
isn't good in the first place. Moving on, Plasma Network Manager now supports WPA3 encryption, which is really nice because it's a better security version than WPA2, which was recently, not recently, but found to have security issues. Uh, KDE Plasma 5.18 also makes it easier to enter emojis. Yes, you can now make it easier to get emojis in whatever thing you're writing with. All you do is hit meta period as a shortcut, and it will then say, or that's the super key basically, or the Windows key, and you hit that, and then period, and it'll pop up a window that says you can choose, you can just click on which emoji you want. And while that's totally ridiculous and silly, I actually kind of like it because sometimes I do want to send just a emoji, and it's a lot harder than it it should be, and this makes it much more easier. So that is cool. Let's go to the next topic. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the latest blog post from Nathan Graham about KDE and the, like, This Week in KDE, about this particular CSD, as well as Emoji and some other stuff in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Lutris, 0.5.4. And Lutris is a really cool application that makes it a lot easier to install certain games on your system. Like, for example, some games will only work with Wine, and they'll have specific versions of Wine, and it can spe- uh, special configurations to make it work, and that sort of thing. And it just makes it really awkward to install certain games. But Lutris makes it a lot easier because they have an install script for many, many games, including World of Warcraft, Elder Scrolls, Battlefield Five, Overwatch, and many, many more. So, check out Lutris if you want to play certain games. But in this latest version, they have updated uh, support for Python 3.8. They now have NVIDIA Prime offloading support. They have improved uh, eSync support and now can be flipped on for Wine Staging. If you're not aware of the difference between Wine and Wine Staging, they're basically the same uh, project, essentially, but they're different versions, uh, different branches. And the Wine Staging tries out more experimental things versus the stable version of Wine. And they've also done a lot of other numerous fixes for wine and Lutris in general. Uh, but I want to talk about this because Lutris also was, re- was re- recently awarded a Epic Mega Grant from Epic Games of $25,000, which is awesome. Maybe even shocking to some of you, including myself, because that means Epic Games did something good, and that itself is shocking. Now, the reason why they got this, this Mega Grant is because Lutris announced on uh, Twitter in April this year that they got the Epic Game Store to run on Linux. And Tim Sweeney did did say, you know, he suggested to them to apply for a mega grant. And that's that part's not shocking. It's just shocking that Epic Games did something good because there's been a lot of stuff coming for many years from Epic Games that are not very good things. But this one is, so that's awesome. So Lutris said what they're going to be using for this, what, what they plan to do with this money. And they say the funds received will go forward improving the platform as a whole, but in particular towards the development of tools ensuring the stability of games or launchers installed through Lutris, which is very, very cool. So yeah, if you want to check out Lutris or check out the latest release of Lutris 0.5.4, I'll have a link to the release notes as well as the main website to check it out in the show notes. Up next in the show is some Humble Bundle talk. Actually, it's a bundle of Humble Bundle stuff. Okay, sorry. Actually, I'm not really. I kind of like puns, so I'm not really sorry about them. But anyway, Humble Bundles are, we talk about these every once in a while in the show because there's a lot of cool stuff that they have, and also there's an affiliate system that, that helps this show. So we occasionally talk about it, and this and we do this maybe every uh, two items every few episodes or something like that. This particular episode has a lot. 
like there's like five different things we're going to talk about. So get ready. Uh, Humble Bundle replacing Humble Monthly with their new Humble Choice. So this is a new subscription service called Humble Choice replacing their Humble Monthly service, which they're similar because this is still a subscription, but this has a tier system rather than having just a you're signing up for the monthly service. So you can get the different tiers. There's three different tiers. One's the light, the basic, and the premium. The premium is $19.99 a month or $20 a month. And you get nine games each uh, for each each month, and you get to keep those games forever. You also get access to the Humble Trove, as well as 20% off games in the Humble Store. Now, the basic is a $14.99, and it's, it gets three games for each month, plus access to the Humble Trove and 10% off the games. The Lite also gets 10% off the games, but it doesn't get games by default. So you have to pay for the Choice Basic to get access to those games. So it's it's interesting because this is a new method and it's slightly more expensive but at the same time a good deal because a lot of the games included are pretty pretty good so for example the first month has access to the shadow of the tomb raider so you could get that essentially for five dollars or no 50 14.99 sorry you can get that as one of the three games you choose from the choice list so that's pretty cool there's a quite a few games in here uh, 10 games in total which every month will be 10 games I have a link to all uh, link to the post for humble choice in the show notes below uh, and also before we move on I want to let you know that the links for all of these different things except for the last topic the Yogcast, Yinglecast I don't know the last topic isn't an affiliate link but the rest of them are so essentially if you decide to purchase the humble choice or the humble bundles that I'm going to talk about, please use the links below because it benefits the channel and the show and a small commission is given to the show to, for promoting the, the, the stuff and it really helps the show a lot. So if you don't mind, please use the links below in the description and in the show notes. So yeah, let's move on to the next humble bundle thing. The next thing about humble bundle is that they're the humble store is having an indie hit sale. So this is pretty cool because you can get Pillars of Earth, Sundered, Eldritch Edition, Shadow Tactics, State of Mind, Darkest Dungeon, Enter the Gungeon, Overcooked 2, Owlboy, and other games for massive discounts, some of them up to 75% off. So you can get that in the Indie Hits sale on the Humble Store. Again, affiliate link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Humble Sonic Bundle 2019. So you got to go fast and get this bundle. Remember I said I liked puns? So Sonic Mania is available in this game, in this bundle, and it's probably like, it's I think it's the newest game, and I look forward to getting it because I haven't played that game, and I, I really do want to play Sonic Mania because I, I used to be a big fan of Sonic back in the day on the Genesis, so I look forward to trying out these. But there's a lot of other games like Race to the Finish Line, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. Go up, I think that's like a go-kart or like a Mario Kart type of game. Uh, go up against the evil Dr. Eggman in Sonic Forces. Um, you know, a bunch of other games too. But none of these games are actually Linux native. However, many of them are supported via Proton. Man, Proton is such an awesome tool, you know? Anyway, so they have games from that are ranging from silver support to platinum support with Sonic Forces and Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing having gold ratings and Sonic Mania having platinum ratings. So there's a lot of good stuff in this game in this bundle even though they're not technically Linux games are games that are probably worth trying out, especially with like the platinum rating should be totally fine to play. Uh, so I look forward to getting that affiliate link in the show notes. 
Up next in the show is another type of bundle. It's a book bundle instead of games this time, and it's the data science bundle. So if you're interested in data science, you can get this to learn techniques like practical SQL, a better a beginner's guide to storytelling with data. And that's pretty interesting. Uh, data visualization with JavaScript, statistics done wrong, the woefully complete guide, and many, many more. So if you can check this out, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, which is, again, an affiliate link. So check that out if you're interested. Up next in the show is the Yogscast Jingle Jam. This is the last item for the Humble Bundle section. And this is a link that is not an affiliate link because this link goes to a campaign they're doing that is 100% for charity. So 100% of the proceeds go are going to charity and they list all the great charities that are available on the page. Uh, so it gives you access to new games and new goodies every day throughout to throughout the, the, period, uh, the time frame, basically. Uh, it, it ends at December 20th. So from now, you can get all the games that were already previously available, as well as all the items as well, uh, all the way up to December 20th, where that's when they stop. But you'll have all of those different items, including currently in the games list as the Kingdom New Lands, Bastion, Crusader Kings 2, Invisible Ink, Chivalry, Medieval Warfare, and many, many more. And likely most, a lot of them are going to work for Proton. Uh, because the, uh, these are all games that are Linux related, but there's going to be probably some Proton games too. Uh, but Invisible Ink looks pretty cool. It's one of those. It's a game that's made by the same people who made Market the Ninja. I'm a big fan of that game, so I look forward to checking that one out too. So, anyway, if you want to check it out, Yogscast Jingle Jam link in the show notes. Not an affiliate link. 100% to charity, so no affiliate link. But yeah, Yogscast Jingle Jam. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, sponsors, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you are a longtime listener of the show, you will notice that in the video version of this show, it no longer misses the, the sponsors information. You can actually get the information now because I updated the website. Yo me! Anyway, you can also order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find places for uh, links for places for Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And also be sure to check out the Destination Linux network by going to destinationlinux.network to see all the different awesome podcasts and content that we have for you on the network. And again, thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.